0: What is a religious cult? Why are so many people, including people from mainstream churches, joining spiritually destructive religious cults? Today, we have answers. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zukeran. Recently, Pat invited, who many consider to be the greatest living defender of the Christian faith, Dr. Norman Geisler to address the essentials of the faith and the characteristics of the cults at a conference in Hawaii. Today, you'll hear part one of that presentation. And by the way, it's crucial resources like these that we offer at evidenceandanswers.org. That's articles, books, interviews with leading scholars, and past programs available for download on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, all at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, Pat Zuckerin presents Dr. Norman Geisler on the essentials of the faith and the characteristics of the cults. I asked my class
1: some time ago, this is my 50th year of teaching, by the way, at college and seminary level. Um, I asked my class, uh, what, what is the greatest problem in the world today? Is it ignorance or is it apathy? And one of my students said, I don't know, and I don't care. Uh, and of course, that is the greatest problem in the world today. And I want to talk about one of the great problems in the world tonight, and that is the cults that rise, in our response. Cults live on the unpaid bills of the church, Walter Martin said. If that's true, then the contemporary church is bankrupt because there are some 3,000 to 5,000 cults. Over 30 million Americans are in cults. Mormons alone have 12 million people. Cults influence one-third of all Americans. For example, one-third of Americans believe in reincarnation, a typical teaching of Eastern cults. One-third are into astrology, something forbidden in the Bible. Four out of ten people have had contact with the dead, which in Deuteronomy 18 is called necromancy and is forbidden uh, for Christians to do it's a sad fact that the cults live on the unpaid bills of the church and the church is bankrupt we're bankrupt theologically we're bankrupt doctrinally we're bankrupt in many uh, ways and i'd like to talk about that tonight first of all i want to talk about the rise of cults and then how we can respond to the cults defining a cult has been difficult but i think we can do it as simply as possible First of all, I'd like to point out there's an important difference between a cult and the cultic. A cult is someone who denies an essential doctrine. The cultic is exalting non-essentials. Now, there's a lot more cultic activity in the church today than there is cults, but there's plenty of cults. Denying an essential doctrine of the faith is the characteristic of a cult, but exalting non-essentials into essentials, is a cultic characteristic of the church. Common characteristic of the cults then is what is called heresy. Heresy is a denial of an essential doctrine. Now you can't know what is a cult unless you know what the essential doctrines are. And the essential doctrines of the Christian church are all spelled out in a book back on the table there that Ron Rhodes and I wrote, a book on essentials. It's built on three premises, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things charity. And here are the essentials of the Christian faith. These are all the doctrines that make Christianity true and that make Christianity livable and viable. We believe that human beings are depraved. They are sinful. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Mary had no biological father of the child, that Jesus was miraculously conceived in her womb and that he was born of the Virgin Mary. And hence he is sinless. Jesus had no sin. He knew no sin. He was a spotless lamb of God. Uh, He lived a pure and impeccable life. And besides that, Jesus was God, not just a God, not just divine, but he was God Almighty in human flesh, both human and divine, that he had 100% human nature and he had 100% divine nature and that there is only one God, not two gods, not three gods, not a multiplicity of gods, but only one God. And in this God, there is a triunity, like a triangle, one triangle with three corners, like one to the third power. One times one times one is one, that there's a triunity inside of God. And that this God, because we are sinful, has unmerited favor toward us, called grace. And that this unmerited favor has provided salvation On our behalf and that essential to getting this salvation is faith it's absolutely essential we are justified by faith and by faith alone based on the atoning death of christ that christ died to pay the penalty for our sins he rose from the dead to prove he was the son of god so in his bodily resurrection and he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the father ever living to make intercession for us his priestly intercession and that someday he's going to come back to earth, set up his kingdom, he's going to reign in this world, Christ's second coming. Now where do we get all these doctrines? We get them from a Bible that we believe from Genesis to Revelation is the infallible Word of God, and that the literal interpretation of this Bible, like the literal interpretation of a road sign or the newspaper, is the correct interpretation. There are 16 fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. Any group that claims to be Christian and denies one or more of these is by definition a cult. These are the essential doctrines. And there's a book back on the table there called Conviction Without Compromise. And the first part of the book has a chapter on each one of these doctrines with all of the verses and all of the reasons, and Christians need to know what these essential doctrines are because they're the ones that are attacked by the cults. Now the interesting thing is the early Christian fathers knew this because they were attacked by cults, one of which was called Gnosticism in the early centuries. And so they had to put down on paper what they believed. The first one is called the Apostles' Creed that comes to us from the second century. And it reads like this, look at the numbers. The numbers correspond to the 16 uh, numbers of the 16 doctrines that we just uh, went through. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived of the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended into hell that phrase is not in the earliest of apostles creed so i put it in brackets the third day he rose again from the dead he ascended into heaven he sits at the right hand of god the father almighty whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead i believe in the holy spirit the holy catholic church which means universal church the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Fourteen of the essential doctrines, all of which come from the Bible by taking the Bible literally as the Word of God. Now, Christians of all varieties, Eastern Orthodoxy, Western Christianity, Catholic and Protestant, all confess these 16 uh, doctrines. This is what all Christians have in common, in spite of denominational differences, in spite of mode of baptism, form of church government, all of these things we believe in common. These are the essentials of the Christian faith, and they are attacked by the cults because if a cult denies one or more of these, it deserves the term. Now note, not everything cultic is a cult. Not every group is a cult in all four senses that we're going to talk about. But doctrinally, a cult is any group that claims to be Christian, but which denies one or more of the fundamentals of the historic Christian faith. If they deny the bodily resurrection, they're a cult. If they deny the atonement of Christ, they're a cult. If they deny the virgin birth, they're a cult. And if they deny all of these, or many of them, it makes them even more so a cult. Now, why is it that cults are on the rise today? Why is it that we're having more and more of them? The rise of the cults is one of the phenomena of our day, and I want to address it in our discussion. Common characteristic is the denial of the essential doctrines, and a common characteristic is the exclusivity, an inside track to the truth. A cult is someone who thinks that they have the truth, and no one else has it. Exclusivity uh, is put in these terms, the tendency to pronounce others outsiders to the truth, the tendency of a self-appointed messianic or prophetic role. Our leader has a, a direct pipeline to God, uh, as it were. He is someone who has a unique interpretation on the truth that no one else anywhere has, and you need to belong to this in-group. That's one of the tendencies of a cult. In addition to denying a fundamental doctrine, they have a direct pipeline to God. A third characteristic of the cults is authority demanding allegiance to an authority figure. So if you know any group that claims to be the group, that claims to have the truth in a suitcase as it were, that claims to have a franchise on the way you get to heaven, and that has an authority figure that stands between you and God, you probably are dealing with a cult. Authority or demand of allegiance. Usually this is obedience that's absolutely essential. And the consequences of disobedience are often harmful in the cult. You must obey the leader, or you're going to be excommunicated, you're going to be shunned. Uh, in some serious cases, even worse than that. The consequences are sometimes fatal, as we'll see in a moment. Heaven's Gate, you know what happened here. The Hillbot Comet uh, went by, and we had cult leader Marshall Applewhite, who led people to die. In fact, you remember the all bought a new pair of tennis shoes and when they found him, there were 39 dead cult members because they believed that if they died they would catch their opportunity to heaven as the comet went by this was a cult and it happened to be a deadly cult one that not only had deadly effects in psychological and doctrinal ways but in a physical way we all remember the tragedy in waco when the whole compound went up in fire And along with David Koresh, who claimed to be a messiah, albeit a sinful messiah, why anyone would want to follow a sinful messiah, I don't know, 74 people went up in flames not far away from Dallas, Texas. Even more tragic than that, Jim Jones. Now, Jim Jones started out as a gospel preacher. Any one of your churches uh, he could have preached in. Gradually, he got farther and farther from the truth, developed... Uh, into a cult where he was uh, the leader and eventually led 914 people to take arsenic-laced Kool-Aid. And when the Time Magazine photographers got in there, this is what they found, a scene that is unthinkable. Mothers lying with their arms around uh, their babies, all of whom had taken this terrible poison. How is it possible that people can be so deceived? Well, you've had people knock on your door. They're called Jehovah's Witnesses. And these Jehovah's Witnesses are clearly a cult, as we'll see in a moment. They deny most of the 16 doctrines of the faith. On the front of their magazine, Awake, they proudly display the faces of these three young people, all of whom died. Now you say, how did they die? Well, they presented them as martyrs, but the truth of the matter is their parents refused to give them blood transfusions, when they needed it it is part of that cult not to uh, do that, and they died. Notice in their magazine they said, Youths who put God first. In former times, thousands of youths died for putting God first. They are still doing it today. The drama is played out in hospitals and courtrooms with blood transfusions the issue. The sad fact of the matter is, that uh, they need to awake themselves because these young people are dead because of a cultic belief that it's wrong to take a blood uh, transfusion. Cults are dangerous. They're dangerous doctrinally. They're dangerous psychologically. They're dangerous, in some cases, physically. The defining characteristic of a cult it's a heresy, denies one or more fundamental doctrine. It has exclusivity and inside track to the truth as authority figure or group, demand allegiance to the authority. And morally, they're characterized by legalism and antinomianism, which means anti-law. Let me explain what I mean. Morality. Extra-biblical law is not found in the Bible, like asceticism or vegetarianism. You say, what's wrong with vegetarianism? Nothing, if you're doing it for health reasons— but a lot if you're doing it for spiritual reasons. There's nothing spiritual about eating just vegetables, and there's nothing carnal about eating meat. Jesus ate meat. He ate the Passover lamb. He ate fish. If there was anything sinful about eating meat, Jesus wouldn't have eaten it. As a matter of fact, the sacrifices in the Old Testament were commanded to be given to the priests and the priests. Eat them. Vegetarianism for spiritual purposes is is a cultic teaching. Asceticism denying physical uh, things. The Bible says God has given us all things richly to enjoy. Uh, he's given us all food, and if be, if it's received with thanksgiving, uh, we should be grateful for it. So asceticism and vegetarianism are two examples of extra biblical laws, anti-biblical laws, laws. Uh, that are contrary to the Bible, like legalism, where you have a law for everything, how to tie your shoe. Uh, antinomianism, where you have no laws for anything, where you can do anything you want, libertarianism. And cults vary between legalism and libertarianism. Some things they're very legalistic on, some things they're totally libertarian on, like the Children of God cult that were are into uh, uh, moral licentiousness. Note, Legalism is working for grace, not from grace. And antinomianism is spurning grace, let us sin that grace may abound. Now let me elaborate on that. Most cults teach a form of works salvation, if not all in some form. They're working for grace. You can't work for grace. Grace is a gift. And you can't work for a gift. All you can do is say thank you. And salvation is a gift of God. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So legalism is trying to work for your salvation. There are only two kinds of religion in the world. One is spelled D-O, and the other is spelled D-O-N-E. One is said, do, 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 and God might be pleased with you, and if he's pleased enough, you'll make it. The other says, it is finished, which is what Jesus said on the cross. I have finished the work which you gave me to do, which he said in his high Priestly prayer. God did it for us. Christ provided it as a gift, and uh, we receive it by his grace. Antinomianism is spurning God's grace, saying, Well, okay, let's sin that grace may abound. If God's going to graciously forgive us, let's sin as much as we can to get as much grace as we can. And Paul said, Perish the thought. God forbid. That's antinomianism. The rise of the cults, doctrinally, It results from a failure of the church to teach sound doctrine. Why is it that our young people are falling for false doctrine? Because they weren't taught true doctrine. And if you don't know the truth, you can't recognize what's false. If truth is not found in the church, then it will be sought outside the church. All nature rushes to fill a vacuum. It's true not only physically, but it's true spiritually as well. And one of the reasons that our young people have fallen into cults is the church has not taught doctrine. I was in Eastern Europe talking to some missionaries a number of years ago, and with glee in their eyes, they looked back at America as, you know, the great hope spiritually for the world, and they said, how's the church doing in America? And I had to give them the bad news. It's 3,000 miles wide and an inch deep. 3,000 miles wide and an inch deep. What do I mean? Well, Barna's survey Bears out the statement. 92% of born again Bible believing Christians don't have a Christian worldview. They don't know what the Bible teaches about absolute uh, truth, about absolute uh, morals. They don't believe the Christian worldview. 92%. That's not liberals, that's not cults, that's born again Bible believing Christians. And 50% of ministers in evangelical churches, do not have a Christian worldview. It's thousands of miles wide, but it's only about an inch deep. No wonder the cults are living on the unpaid bills of the church, and one of the first and most important bills we haven't paid is the duty to teach our young people doctrine, the duty to teach them what the Bible says about sin and salvation and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the need for faith and the grace of God In all of those 16 doctrines. Secondly, explanation for the rise of the cults ecclesiastically in terms of the church. We did not evangelize India, and now India is evangelizing us. Do you know most of the New Age cults spring from Hinduism and Buddhism? And we failed to reach the Eastern world with the gospel, and now the Eastern world is reaching us with their gospel. We didn't pay our duty to the Great Commission. And if we did not send our missionaries there and they did not win them, they have come here. And they had a a missionary conference in the 1960s. And the Hindus got together and said, We want to evangelize the West. And they said, We can do it through yoga, through transcendental meditation. We can do it through all of the Eastern religions. We can repackage it and call it the religion of the force because. Zen Buddhism is the philosophy behind the Star Wars series, as they admitted themselves, and now we are being evangelized by the East. We were not worshiping the Creator, and now cults are worshiping the the creature. And that's exactly what Romans 1 says. They will worship the creature rather than the Creator. We were not really worshiping Father God, and now they're worshiping Mother Earth. The unpaid bills of the church doctrinally and ecclesiastically. Furthermore, you can explain the rise of the cults socially. There's a social dimension to it, and this has been neglected by the Christian church. Most cultists find community in their cult, which they did not find in their church. They did not find a family. They did not find a loving fellowship of people in their church. They found cold, formal churches that were simply reciting the creeds on a form of godliness, and denied the power thereof. They didn't find the love and communion in their local church, and they found it in a cult. I remember once debating the top Mooney. We were debating at Northwestern University in Chicago. He was a guy from, uh, he had a Harvard Ph.D. His name was Richard and We were debating, and there was a Mooney girl who uh, became a Christian after the debate, after she saw both sides of the issue. And she told me, you know, I was never loved so much in my life, is I was loved by the people in this group. Because they brought me in, I had more hugs, more love expressed to me in one night from this group than I did my church the entire time I grew up. Most cultists find community in their cult, which they did not find in their church. Secondly, they find family in the cult that they didn't find in their kin. Many of these people come from broken homes, they come from dysfunctional families, they come from groups where there was no love in their home, there was no community there, there was no real community in their church, and they went to a cult and they found both of the things that they lacked, uh, one from their family and one from their church. Very important social failure of Christians that has led people into the cults, morally There's a reason that people get into the cults. On the one hand, secularists relativize the absolute. On the other hand, cultists absolutize the relative. We live in a society where secularists say there are no absolutes, and yet the heart cries out for some firm ground to stand on, some rock to anchor their life to. They go to a cult, and they absolutize the relative, and people are sucked into it because the secular society has said There aren't any absolutes, their heart cries out for absolutes, and they find it in this cult. Moral deception. Jesus said of of the devil, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The father of lies deceives them. Paul affirmed, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. There are demons. There are fallen angels. They are dedicated to deceiving people, and they follow their father, the devil, and they deceive people in the cults. John said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then he goes on to tell them that this is the spirit of Antichrist. Moral deception is one of the reasons that people get sucked into cults. Here's one form of it, flirty fishing. There's David Berg. He started out as a CNMA pastor, Christian Missionary Lives, very fine denomination and church. He had memorized hundreds of verses when he was uh, younger, and little by little he got revelations from an angel called Abraham, a demon deceiving himself, until finally one of his later books was about sexual immorality. Flirty fishing involves the use of sex to lure people into the cult. This is allegedly the freedom that we have as the children of God, which is the name of that cult that David Berg was the leader of. Berg on flirty fishing. That's the whole idea of uh, flirty fishing. If by sex you can prove there is love, thereby you prove there is God because God is love. What a distorted version of love. Potential converts should fall in love with you first and then with the Lord. Now you and your flesh, uh, your spirit and your love and real affection are the bait. But particularly your flesh is the bait. And so they would actually use sex to attract people into the cult.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. It's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and demonstrates the truth of the claims of Christ. If you agree, please support us with your prayers and gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll educate yourself and your family, and you'll help us keep expanding. You can download past shows on everything from from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat